0: I will ask you to please open your copies of God's Word and uh, the Book of Samuel, First Samuel chapter uh, 10, and we are going to read uh, verse 1, part B, that is after the first period, and then uh, down to verse 16. So, First Samuel chapter 10, verse 1, part B to verse 16. Yeah, verse 16. And just remember that what we have been seeing so far is one single story. It feels really long because we have been spending three sermons in these chapters uh, so far, but it's just one single story. And hopefully you remember what, what you have seen so far and how the character of Saul has been portray, portrayed to us uh, thus far. So with that in mind, then, please stand to hear God's holy, inspired, inerrant Word as it is read to us this morning. This is God's word. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at uh, Zelza, and they will say to you, The donkeys that you were that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibead Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp, tampering, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And the man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said to seek the donkeys. And when, he saw they, uh, when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys have been found. But about the mother of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now, uh, have you realized, congregation, uh, that in this life there are certain things that are simply weird? Uh, Like eating a peanut butter sandwich with ketchup. That's weird. Or like enjoying a winter walk in the snow while using a t shirt and short pants and flip flops with a below 15 temperature outside. That is also weird. And and then there is another level of weirdness, the one that is so shocking that surprises people. Like the guy in my hometown who used to drink every single day of his life, who used to sleep in the streets and used to smell to pee because often he was unconscious due to his drunkenness. And then anyone who uh, uh, saw him knew who he was. And yet one day, He showed up at church, affirming that he will never drink again. For people outside of church, what had happened to this guy was weird. It was out of the normal behavior. A drunkard become Christian and, and whose life has been transformed and now is a good father. Wonders never end. Well, this morning we see something similar, and that's precisely our theme uh, for us this morning, uh, congregation of the Lord. Wonders never end. Boys and girls, you have your sheet in the back of your bulletins. That's our theme Wonders never end. So make sure to use it. Uh, and see, we are going to see this theme in two parts. First, God guiding soul, and second, soul's doubts. So, first, God guiding soul, and second, Saul's doubts so let's see the first part God guiding Saul now as we enter into the text congregation we need to realize that the narrative that we just read is designed on purpose to be weird to us Uh, in other words when we read the text we are to be shocked about what we are reading about and go oh that's kind of weird isn't it what does it mean that's the point it's supposed to shock you So let us go to verse 1b and see the purpose, the intent of what is going to happen and we are going to see. Listen to this again. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be the prince over his heritage. So here is the purpose of everything that we are going to see. These signs, these things will confirm to Saul's heart That he has indeed been anointed by God himself, the Lord himself, in order to be king over Israel. And we are going to see each one of them. But in the meantime, I want you to notice two things. First, uh, the reason for the sign is very specific in redemptive history. This is, so to speak, a period, a point on the canvas canvas, in in a picture. It's not a line. In other words, uh, it's not meant to be repeated. It doesn't have to happen to you. It will not happen to you. Uh, the office of the king is a new development in the history of Israel, in the history of redemption. It's a new development even in Saul's mind and in his consciousness. That is why special signs are given to him and are necessary at this point so he, God, God that is, can confirm this office and can tell everyone else around that this indeed comes from God. And being that the case, when we read this text, we are not to go around seeking, trying to ask God to repeat these things for us now. That is not how this works. Besides, the Lord has given us something way much better than these signs already, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and speaking to us through the preaching of the Word and the Scriptures. The second thing I want you to see is God's mercy and goodness. Being anointed by the prophet of God should have been enough for Saul to believe, uh, should have been beyond doubt that the Lord is the one who has uh, appointed Saul for this task. But in his mercies and in his goodness, the Lord goes above and beyond. In fact, he provides Saul with a series of signs that will guide Saul through his journey, that will guide Saul in this task as a new king over Israel. And this, brothers and sisters, we experience even today, do we not? The Lord's mighty hand is with, all, with us all the time, guiding us, uh, providing for us through bad and good circumstances. And isn't it true that God's providential dealings with us many times— uh, I, I mean, many times in our lives, we need to go through uh, really weird things in our lives. Uh, sometimes even we go, why is this happening to me? This is kind of weird. Why is God allowing this in my life? It doesn't make sense. What is your purpose with me, God? I don't understand it. And yet the truth of the matter is that God's providence sometimes has to be read backwards from our perspective. Uh, God's providence has to be read backwards from our perspective. Now see verse 2. Uh, when you depart from me today, you will meet two men. These are the, prop- the, sign, uh, the first sign. By Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelsa. And they will say to you, The donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Once again, see how merciful and how loving God is with his people congregation. So much so that he takes the trouble to reassure Saul through this first sign of the reality that the donkeys have indeed been found. Even though he doesn't have any reason to doubt about the word of Samuel, God provides this sign as a reconfirmation, so to speak, of what Samuel has already told him. And because we belong to God in Jesus Christ congregation, you need to understand that this is what the Lord does with us as well. In his love, in his mercies, he's always speaking to us, reminding us of his love. He gives us good reminders of his presence through the preaching of the word and through the sacraments. It is a great privilege, brothers and sisters, to be able to hear God's word every single Lord's Day. Do you know how many times God spoke to Abraham? Like four or five. Do you know how many times God speaks to you? Every single Lord's Day. And that is a great privilege, a privilege that the saints of all didn't enjoy. And you need to know, boys and girls, that the Lord our God is a loving Father to you, who in Jesus Christ will never ever stop showing you His love, His care for you, embracing you and walking with you. And that is what he is doing with Saul even here in the text. Even the most meaningless of things, donkeys for Saul, are confirmed as recovered. So there is not a doubt in Saul's heart that this whole ordeal comes from God himself. Now look at verses 3 and 4. Then you shall go on from there uh, farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Uh, Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. Now, you may not remember this, but in chapter 9, three weeks ago, I think, uh, we were told that Saul had wasted away all his provisions, all the bread that he had. And he was very unwise. He didn't have anything for the journey. And what is it that we are hearing here now? that God is miraculously with a microscopic precision providing bread for Saul, and not just any bread, but consecrated a special bread supplied uh, for Saul and His needs. See, uh, God's goodness, congregation, brothers and sisters, uh, even when we are foolish, even when we get in trouble because of ourselves, uh, still there. There are many occasions in which God in His goodness provides for us. True, soulless ill has to walk many, many miles before getting provision from God. Just like many times in our lives, we need to walk with and endure uh, the foolishness of our consequences and, 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 and the, um, the reality of those. But that just makes God's provisions even sweeter to our eyes, does it not? We don't deserve that, and yet God provides for us. This doesn't mean, by the way, that you need to take uh, advantage of God's goodness. It doesn't mean that we are to just go throughout life not thinking about what we do. We are never to do that, congregation. Uh, we are to learn to become wiser through our experiences, to not take God, God's grace for granted because we are not to abuse him. And yet at the same time, we know and we are to be assured that despite our foolishness, despite our lack of provisions and provisions, or through those provisions, God is still with us. He will never abandon us. He will never forsake us. Now look at verses 5 and 6. After that you shall come to Gibeah, Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city... You will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Uh, Two things here. First, the meaning of what is going on here is going to be explained to, to us later on. So we will see that later on. Second, notice the specific mention of a garrison in Israelite territory. Uh, This thing shouldn't be here. This is an invasion and Saul needs to take care of that. Uh, So all these signs really have been designed for Saul. God is like a good father who is uh, walking with his little child, uh, teaching him how to walk. And as he guides Saul to his task... He is like a good father who goes, be careful with this, son. Uh, Be aware of that rock, son. You are going to fall. Be careful. Make sure to skip that. In the same way, the Lord is doing the same thing with Saul here. And he's saying to Saul, you are not to take care of your possessions. Don't be concerned about it. I am going to be your possession now. And you are not to care for provisions because I will provide for you now in the office of king. And finally, the Lord is saying to Saul, look This is an invasion, excuse me. This is not okay. You need to take care of this. You need to remove it from Israel. Because this Philistine invasion and this Philistine appropriation in Israelite territory is really like the serpent in the garden, slithering in the promised land. And Saul, like a new Adam figure, needs to take take care of it. He needs to extirpate uh, the unclean people from the land. All of this is simply God guiding Saul in this new task. Now, wonder then, Saul, uh, Samuel closes the instructions with, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. And th- later on, then go down before me to Gilgal. Why is that? What does it mean? It means, congregation, that war is coming and Saul has to start it. But he can't start it before first Samuel sacrificing before the Lord. So see, uh, here's the thing that we uh, are to see in the text congregation. God, he he has begun a rescue plan for his people through Saul. That is what the text is telling us, that the Lord God cannot and will never stay quiet when his people suffer. He never does, that he is never idle while we are in distress. And the best example of that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he not? You see, the Lord was not idle at the right time he sent Jesus Christ. The Lord was not idle. Rather, he sent his son in the form of a human flesh. He came not to palaces, but in a quiet place. His mission was one of bringing the kingdom of the devil down, to destroy it. And it was only a bunch of uneducated disciples, fishermen, and so on, that could see the mission of the king. And they only understood that mission after his resurrection. And Jesus' congregation is this better soul figure who extirpated the devil from our lives and from our hearts. He's our better deliverer. He's the one who walks with us all the time. He's the one who guides us through every single thing that we go in our lives because his spirit is dwelling in us. And He works in and through us even to this day. The thing is that more often than not, we don't have eyes to see the Lord working in our lives, working His deliverance. We're so consumed by the agony of what we are going through right now, so entrapped in ourselves and in our sufferings, that we simply don't understand the fact that God is always at work. God is always present. God is always for His people always moving us from grace to grace, from glory to glory. And because of that, in our lives, congregation, we are going to stumble upon many, many things that will not make sense at first. Many things that we will not understand at first. We will look at it and we will go, that's weird. Why is this happening to me? That's weird. Why am I going through this right now? And yet behind everything we experience in our lives, this text is teaching us that we need to see a God who is working behind, a, a God who is working in and through us, a God who is guiding our walk and our destiny to his desire end, a God who moves his church precisely to the place where the church needs to be because he's always at work, all the time, with a microscopic precision, Things that we don't see or feel. And yet later on, maybe we will be able to understand. He's teaching us that he will be our possession, our provision, our safety, our salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, um, let us jump to our second point, Saul's doubts. And if you uh, read verse 9, you will be surprised to find that we only have... A little summary of the previous signs. When he turned his back, verse 9 says, to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. And this summary also has a wordplay. It can, it can be translated as, when Saul turned to leave Samuel, God turned Saul's heart. What is the nature of this turning, though? It seems to be the capacity in Saul to perform the duties of a king. However, we will see how that develops later on in history. Now, when when scriptures repeat something, boys and girls, and brothers and sisters, it's not because it's boring or because the sacred author was writing this 3,000 words essay and he was just trying to fill in the space and complete the words. Uh, Rather, repetition in the Bible is key and is very, very important. It highlights for us something that is important and, and that we need to pay attention to. Notice how Of all the signs that we were informed about, there is just one that is repeated, and that is the one of the prophets. So let us see what the text says once more. Verse 10 and 11. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? See, uh, there are two things once again here. The first one is that in Israel, in those days, there there seemed to have existed something like what we call today seminaries, schools of prophets, uh, little schools of wandering uh, prophets who were in charge of prophesying, teaching uh, to God's people. And these prophecies consisted on inspired revelations of God of himself towards his people Israel inspired revelations that have not been left in scriptures for us they haven't made it in the scriptures because they dealt with particular things necessary for that people down at that time they were not meant to be universal and that is why we don't need any of those anymore because today we have something better than some little revelations we have a completed in scripturated revelation, namely the Bible. And second, we also have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in his church and in every single one of us. The new situation we find ourselves in makes those prophets with those revelations and those prophecies unnecessary for today. Do you know what you have today instead? You have pastors who are to preach you God's word. That's what you have. Um, the second consideration here is the mode in which these prophets used to work. They use music in order to induce themselves themselves, excuse me, in this kind of ecstasy and trance mode that could be used to channel the Spirit of God, so to speak, in order to, walk, uh, to talk to his people. And this is not the first time that we are going to see something like this in the book of Samuel. It happens at least five times. So be ready for it when you see it. So what do we do with this, though? Uh, What does it mean? How do we understand it? Well, the first thing is, this is not, again, this is not meant for you to be repeated today. Uh, To do so will will be to ignore the completeness of scriptures. You don't need to do this because you don't need it. That's what I'm trying to say. In the scriptures, we find the complete counsel of God everything that he wants you to know and to do. And for other situations that the scriptures never or don't touch upon, you have two more things, God's spirit and his wisdom. And added to that, freedom of conscience. Even then though, um, even, even with the weirdness and uniqueness of the situation, the expression that people have in seeing Saul in ecstasy proves that this is not something normal. It didn't happen all the time. Not every Jonah Smith in Israel was meant to be doing this, in other words. It was reserved for those who were called to the office of a prophet. That is why people who are seeing Saul are intrigued by this behavior. Their reaction is that's weird. Uh, what is the son of Kish doing? What's wrong with him? And isn't that very telling? The people around Saul, who know him really, really well, are surprised to see Saul acting like a preacher, like a religious person. Uh, This is like the guy in my introduction. Everyone in my hometown, everyone, 45,000 people, and yet everyone knew who he was. Everyone had stumbled upon him and saw him sleeping in the streets everyone. That is why it was a great shock for everyone to see his life transformed by the power of the Spirit. Isn't that weird? The son of Kish among the prophets? This is just a simple way of saying, is Saul a religious guy now? Is he a Christian now? And that reaction would explain us why Saul didn't know about Samuel once again. See how many times we are hearing about this in the text? Uh, Saul didn't know about Samuel because he didn't care about religious stuff. And that completes the picture that we have of Saul, doesn't it? He was not a religious man at first. And it doesn't stop there. Look, verse 12. And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul among the prophets? Here the situation gets even weirder. Like, wait, what? Their father? What is he talking about? Well, in in seeing the weirdness of the situation, a man who knows Saul's family uh, simply affirms by asking a question, isn't Saul from a family of warriors? What is he doing with the preachers? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't match. And to make matters even more interesting, they come out with a saying, Is Saul among the prophets? The equivalent will be, Wonders Never Cease, for you Americans. Uh, Because, of course, what can be more amazing than the son of a warrior transformed into a preacher? Warriors kill, they don't preach. But wonders of wonders, Saul among the prophets. Now, after all of those signs, after impressing even the people in town, one would think that Saul will come out of this with a sense of security and and assured that the Lord has indeed have anointed him as king and with a clear idea of his mission, to deliver Israel from his enemies. But what is it that we see next? Notice Saul's behavior in verses 15 and 16, when after telling his uncle that they have visited Samuel, Uh, The prophet, the uncle, goes, Oh, tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys have been found. And you and I know that's not everything. And just in case, the sacred author author goes, But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel, Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Now, isn't that interesting? Saul answers the question with a dodgy answer. See, uh, this story of the secret kingship continues. But the thing is, uh, after so many signs from God, after so many mercies of God towards Saul, why is Saul so hesitant to tell what is going on? And if we look at the whole character of Saul that we have seen so far, my guess is, then this is just my guess, um, that Saul is simply afraid. Uh, his heart is filled with doubts. God has piled sign upon sign upon sign uh, uh, to shepherd Saul's heart and guide him in his mission, and yet he is still uh, 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 doubting about his purpose. See, doubts sometimes are more powerful than what God has to provide for us. It seems, at least in our hearts. And see, uh, this is the problem behind the narrative. God is at work; uh, He is working with Saul. Through Saul and in the end, even despite Saul, but at the same time, we see a weak soul an afraid soul, a soul that doesn't want to trust in God. And you and I understand that, do we not? Isn't Saul, after all, like any of us? Aren't we, in many respects, too much like Saul, floated with doubts many times in our lives, in bad times, without about God's goodness? In good times, without about how long this is going to last for, in times of uncertainty, our hearts go immediately to think about uh, the worst about God, uh, as if he were a mini evil God. Yes, I believe we understand Saul quite clearly, congregation. It's really part of our fallen nature to doubt. Saul is too much like us. He takes himself too seriously And then he doubts about everything, despite the clear guidance of the Lord. That is how the text hints at the idea that Saul, in the end, will fail to his task. He's too much like us again. And God's people need another one. A king that is not like us. One who does not doubt his calling, nor his purpose. And that idea leads us to contemplate Jesus Christ, does it not? jesus christ is the anointed king of the lord who is not like us in 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 our sinfulness in every step of his journey in every step of his ministry he never doubted god's promises and god's purposes for him rather he's all the time fulfilling his mission and it is in jesus congregation that our hearts are finally transformed you see doubting is normal in our fallen human nature But doubting becomes an anomaly in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that you will never experience it. I'm I'm not saying that you will be perfect from now on. But what, what I'm saying is that in Jesus Christ, you have been provided a solution for your doubts. And that is the promises of his gospel and the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you despite of yourself despite of your doubts. And because we are united to Christ, we are loved, we are accepted, we are welcomed, we are embraced, we are cared for, we are capacitated for the task that lies ahead. And we have the certainty that He will sustain us even through the worst of the situations, through times of doubt and through times of trouble, through good times, through bad times. And because you belong to Jesus' congregation, We are not to allow to be conquered by doubt. may never be that the case. Rather, we are to remind ourselves that we already belong to Jesus, that in Him we have eternity in view, victory over the world, sin, and the devil. May that be a good reminder for us even now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. How uh, blessed we are of enjoying his presence, of knowing that he has sent of his Holy Spirit uh, to us so we can be your dwelling place, guided by you, provided by you, and uh, you are with us at all times. Uh, But Lord, we also do recognize in this world uh, there are doubts, there are tribulations that sometimes push us to doubt about you. Help us in those times. Uh, be with us, encourage us, walk with us, help us to remember that you have and you will never abandon us. And we pray for those who uh, don't know you, Lord, for those who uh, don't have this comfort, Help us to bring the comfort of the gospel to them as we move in the world. Help us to be uh, those who bring the light of the gospel to them so they too may enjoy of the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.